you know, we're not taught any of this. You know, I started getting into, um, you know, incubator programs, just learning, you know, because somebody told me like, hey, you know, have you ever heard? I didn't even know what an incubator was. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what an accelerator was, you know. And we're always taught not really to ask for money, not not, exactly. to, not to borrow and things like that. And so I think having all of that on you from like generational, you know, what your parents tell you, whatever, it makes it difficult for you to go out there and ask for millions of dollars because you're still trying to um, believe in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Let alone somebody else believing in you that you're going to be able to take their money and exit. What's up, you guys? Welcome back to the More Rounds podcast. I'm Kim Lewis, CEO and co-founder of Chromix. And on this podcast, we teach you how to fund your business, whether that be cash flow, credit, debt, or an investment. And today we have Tiffany Gatlin here from Latch and Hook. She's a pioneer in the natural hair space, and I am so excited to get into this episode with her. But before we do, we have to do a cheers. Let's do it. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so Tiffany, I've seen you. We met at uh, TSP or before then. So we've never met in person. Yes. We actually were in the mastermind around the same time with TSP. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but we knew each other online, yes. I think. Yes. Because we were in the hair space. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and I've been watching your fitness journey online mm-hmm. um, for the last year or two, and I've been so inspired. Um, I've seen you lose over 100 pounds. It's helped inspire me to lose 40, mm-hmm. and I'm going to lose another 30. But And thank you so much <laughs> yes. for like sharing your journey with us. And I knew before you had a website where you were selling um, synthetic hair, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and now you're like doing fashion, like you're multi-hyphenate, you're good at so many different things. And I would love for you to share kind of how you got started and what you're doing now. Yeah. So I got started in the beauty industry in really 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, my first company was called Curl Colon Hair Collection, and I created the first pre-curled and looped crochet hair back in 2014. Because mm. uh, it wasn't pre-curled before then. There was no crochet hair mar- on the market at all. Oh, like, wow. What you see now with the crochet locks and the curls and the braids, none of that existed before I created the pre-curled and looped crochet hair. Did you get like it patented or anything? Um, so that's a long story. Oh, I, was that a sore <laughs> spot? I didn't mean to. It's okay. It's okay. I mean, I've talked about this so many times, so it's not a secret. But um, so I went into business with someone else. It didn't work out. And I had to end up selling my business. Mm. Um, and... But that's kind of like my claim to fame in the beauty industry is how I got started. I wanted to prevent um, black women from hot water burns while protective hairstyling. And nothing existed in the market. And at that time, I was actually styling hair to make money on the side as an entrepreneur. Um, Because I used to do hair back when I was 16 years old. So, you know, my whole thing was like... Okay, I love this whole crochet movement, but I didn't like the fact that women were actually like dipping their head in hot, boiling hot water. Girl, it's trying dangerous. To get those cr- I'm like, <laughs> did you ever, did you ever do the style? Did oh, you ever I've do the crochet? Like, I've gotten um, like extension like braids before. Okay. you know, you know, they dip the hair at the yeah. bottom and end to seal yeah. it. So like that, are they and doing something different for crochet? Yeah. So with crochet, um, you probably saw the girls on Instagram like curling, uh, brushing out the synthetic braiding hair, wrapping it around the rod. And then dipping it in the hot water, and then they would get this like rod like. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, although it was cute, 
it was very dangerous. And none of the hairstylists in the beauty salons were, were trying to bring that into the salon because of the liability. Exactly. And, and the time. It would take like over, you know, four hours to do the style. And so I was like, okay, this would be great if the hair was already curled. Like pre-curled, all you had to do is just take the curl out of the box you know, just crochet it in your hair and bam, you do it in, you know, an hour. Mm. Um, and so I went into the beauty stores trying to find something. It didn't exist. So I said, you know, I'm going to create it. So that's how I got to the beauty industry was with the pre-curling Luter. Um, sold that business to, um, I won't say his name because, you know, he's, he is very known, but sold it to another hair extension company. Mm-hmm. Um, and that company is actually still running today under their portfolio. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so Were you happy my, about the sale or no? no? Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. You don't not have to get into it. Not happy about the sale, um, but it was something that needed to be done to be able to dissolve that um, business um, relationship. And at that time, I just wasn't, I knew that I wasn't finished in the industry. I knew that I had so much more to offer. I, I knew that there was so um, so much more that I wanted to do to innovate in the space. And so I created Latched and Hooked. And when I created Lashed and Hooked, it was such a weird time because, again, I had just sold my business. And when I started Lashed and Hooked, people thought that I was actually copying off a of curl cologne mm. because my first product with Lash and Hook was the pre-curled and looped crochet hair because that was the only product that I actually still had in my possession mm-hmm. to, to continue to sell. Um, we had a, an agreement that I could continue to sell the curls, even though I had sold the company. Um, so... I spent a lot of time trying to differentiate Lash and Hooked from Curl Cologne. And I kept saying, like, I need something to set me apart from Curl Cologne because now my the business that I started is now my competition. Mm. And so then at that time, my daughter had gotten her hair braided for the first time using synthetic braiding hair. And I think we paid, like, you know, a little over $200 to get her hair braided. And literally the next day, she was like, Mommy, I need to take this out. My head is burning. It feels like there's like bugs crawling in my scalp. And I'm like, what? We just got this done yesterday. And I'm looking at her scalp. She has like red pus like on her scalp. Oh my God. And so I was like, okay, we got to take this out. And so I'm like scouring the internet trying to find out like, you know, putting in different symptoms of like what she was experiencing. And I was coming across conversations that black women were having about being allergic to the synthetic hair. And as you know, as black women, we always we're going to give you a solution to what we think, you know, to a problem. So I saw women say, hey, just soak the hair in apple cider vinegar and it'll take the the toxins out of it and then let it dry. And then you can use it to braid your hair and you'll be fine. And I'm like, wait a minute. So let me get this straight. So I'm buying the hair. I have to soak it in apple cider vinegar, wait for it to dry, and then use it to be able to to make sure that I'm not breaking out from this hair. Nah, we ain't exactly, doing that. Right. I'm like, this sounds like a lot. I'm like, <laughs> we're not doing that. Um, so at that time, I was working at um, Delta Airlines. And it was like a temporary position I had got with them. But with that position, I was able to have flight benefits. And so at the end of the um, project, I used my flight benefits to fly to China. And I, when I flew to China, my goal was to take the hair that I was using and I wanted to find some manufacturers to help me to determine what they were using, 
what what were the chemicals they were using in the braiding hair that would give women such a bad reaction when they used it. Wow. And prior to me going, I had a um, sorority sister who is a polymer chemist. Um, someone connected us and, you know, I told her what I wanted to do. And she walked me through what I needed to do when I go to China, when I went to China. She said, these are the things that you need to ask for. And she told me about the material safety data report. And she was like, on that report. MSDS. Yes. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she said, on that report, it'll have all the chemicals that they're using to formulate the product. So I went armed knowing what it was that I, you know, that I needed. And I knew that when I left China, I wanted to have a resolution so that black women could use this synthetic hair without getting, um, you know, having an allergic reaction. And so that became the differentiator for Lashton Hooks. Wow. Okay. What was the, what was the chemical? So there's a formaldehyde in there and a bunch of other, um, uh, toxins in there that is chemically imbalanced when you're using it your your body is just not reacting to that chemical and so you're breaking out um you know you're getting the hives and your and you know in your scalp you're getting the red pus like my daughter got wow um and so my what I was telling them is like okay I need something that we can replace this chemical so I mean all we're using chemicals obviously but yeah. we need and why are they using chemicals. these chemicals in the hair um, because it's just, it's, it's the way that the outcome of the hair, it reacts more like human hair oh, at the end of the production. Okay. And so the goal is to make sure, like back in the day when we had synthetic hair, it was like plastic. Mm-hmm. You lit it, it was going to burn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I have a, a burn on my, a scar on my leg now from, you know, the hair severing and, and still being on fire and my, my leg being on fire. Dang. Okay. Okay. The goal was to make the hair more human like. And so, um, you know, this synthetic hair has been in production for over 50 years. Okay. And it had been an industry that had been untapped for 50 years. Like nobody went into that space and said, Hey, this hair is is not good for us. We Mm. need to do better. And so it just so happened that I I came along and I met one that I had to go and like try to figure out like, what is this and how can we, um, how can we find some chemicals that are safer and non-toxic? What can we swap this with? And so um, that took a lot of work and a lot of um, navigating um, I had to hire a, um, an, an Chinese um, employee in China to basically kind of go undercover for me. So basically she was working for me, but really had to go and kind of do some of the work for me because they weren't going to give me the information. Mm. Yeah. So you, come, you went all the way to China, they mm-hmm. weren't giving the information, and then you had to ask her to go work to help make the hair so you can find out what I had was in to, it? I had to get her to help me to get the information in terms of what they were using, what chemicals were they using, because everything, the material safety da- data report was in Chinese. Right. I was going to say, so, did they have one in English? Yeah, no. So I couldn't read it. Mm. Um, and so I needed, and she already worked at a manufacturer, the, um, the woman that I hired, she, and she still works with me. Um, I had had to have her go undercover at the manufacturer that she worked at that was actually making the hair to get me a lot of information that I needed. Wow. Because they weren't going to give it to me. So when you wanted to do this hair, you know, did they say, okay, we'll do this for you. We'll take out these chemicals. Here's your minimum order quantity, your MOQ. Mm -hmm. Like, what was that? How much was it? And how'd you find the money for that? So ironically, even to this day, I've never had an MOQ. 
Really? How? I've never had an MOQ, and that has been a blessing because I've never had to buy a large. I literally could buy five units, and that has really been the thing that has sustained me for the last seven years. Why would they allow you to only buy five units? Um, I think it was because my employee, again, she did all my buying for me. Mm. That's a hack. So I believe that's a that, good hack. I believe that's why is because she did all my buying and negotiating for me. Like I didn't do any. I did my negotiation with her. So she, um, when we talked about pricing and all of that, I negotiated that with her. When she came back to me with the pricing, like I would tell her if that's too high, um, you know, ex- telling her exactly what we needed. Any, and I also design my own products too. That's another thing. So I'm not a. I don't buy a product and then just sell it. So I actually design all of my products. So all of my colorways for like my hair and everything, like I design. All How of are you designing synthetic hair? What do you mean? What's up, you guys? For many of you who don't know, I'm Kim, CEO and co-founder of Curl Mix, where we help you master your curls in 21 days. Curl Mix is what makes this podcast possible, and it helps you get the best wash and go ever. So if you like my hair when you're watching the show, that is what got it here. We are now available in Ulta, you guys. Yes, it is our first retailer ever, and it's doing amazing. And I would love your support if you would go out to Ulta and try Curl Mix. All right, you guys, now back to the episode. So the synthetic hair itself, it just comes as a raw good. It's just hair. Mm-hmm. So the texture of it, um, whether it's curly, whether it's straight, all of that, like you have to tell them how mm. you want it. Okay. So um, even back when with my first company with Curl Colon, with those curls, like I actually had to hand curl those and actually send those were my samples. Like I had four different curl sizes. I actually went to the beauty supply store, bought some rods, wrapped the, the um, braiding hair around the rods curled it myself, put the hair into some little container, store containers, and I had four different sizes, and I sent those as my samples for them to redesign those and send Mm. them back as samples. Okay, wow. So even down to texture, when I get it, I'm, like, trying to get the texture as close to your hair as possible. So when they give it to me and I'm looking at it, I'm like, no, this is too straight. So, like, I have to continuously, it's like a back-and-forth thing. Like, sometimes it may take me, like, three or four months because it's back and forth. They're sending me a sample. I'm like, no, this hair is, you know, is, is not coarse enough. You know, it's too straight. You know, um, no, I don't like this curl pattern. This, this color is off. Like I'm, it's literally like sending them also like color samples. Like this needs to be, it needs to look like this. And this is why people go directly to China because they can be there for like a month or two and go back and forth with them and not have to have that delay in like a week shipping. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what year is this that you go and you use your Delta flight points to go see the MSDS, find it in Chinese? What year is that? This is 2016. So how long before you're selling your hair online? So I started selling immediately in 2016. I started with the curl. So I started in May of 2016. Um, I go to China later that year. Um, um, And then I, um, you know, that's when I decided that I was going to do the braiding hair and that was going to be the differentiator. Um, And I didn't start selling that until 2018. How long before you make your first million dollars? 
So in total revenue, we've made $1.7 million. Congratulations. Thank you. And so my hope is to make a million (laughs) dollars. You're well on your way. You're well on your way. My hope is to make a million dollars. But, you know, it's so funny because, you know, when I started, I never even thought about the revenue portion. Mm -hmm. It was really creating a solution for black women. Yeah, That was, you know, obviously, you know, we want to make money. But at the top of my mind, it was about um, creating a solution for black women. And also to your point, I think that also was the thing that kind of plagued me a little bit, that Mm. number. I don't know how a million dollars became like the standard (laughs) of excellence for black businesses. Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of like, if you make a million dollars, you've made it, you know, I was more profitable before I made my million dollars, but you know, we ain't gonna talk about that. You know, (laughs) we ain't gonna talk about that. Okay. And when I sold, when I sold Crocolon, you know, I sold Crocolon, um, in less than two years of being in business. Mm-hmm. And we had made over $2 million. Okay. So and you've so, already made. So I had already made a million, million before. Yeah, I had mm-hmm. already made. Um, and that's what I was asking. Oh, I was yeah, necessarily yeah, yeah. asking what I got you to Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So um, we were in business less than two years. Um, but I, I also, when, when I started Latched and Hooked, I was always comparing myself to Curl Klein. Mm. And see, the difference that I had to realize is that when I started Curl Klein, I came into the market at a time where the product did not exist. Yeah. So it was a little bit of luck at that time because I didn't really have any competition at that point. Mm-hmm. So consumers didn't have any choice but to come to me because they couldn't get the product anywhere else. And the Asians hadn't caught on to it yet. Yeah. So with Lash and Hooked, the product had already been out there and customers had a choice at this point. So can you talk about your experience getting your brand into retail? I remember you telling me, I remember hearing about the struggles with that and, mm-hmm. and thinking like, oh, I totally see. I'm like, I, I get it. I didn't, I never thought about why we can't get synthetic hair in a Target or why we can't get it in, you know, a wall. Like you have to go to a beauty supply, you yeah. know, to get, and I'm like, and I remember <laughs> it's so inconvenient because it's not yeah. a part of my normal everyday experience. Yeah. And so it's like, you got to go all these different places to get your hair braided. Yeah. And I'm like, this don't make no sense. Yeah. But tell me about that experience of trying to get products, your, your hair into to retail. It's been extremely difficult to get buyers to understand why black women should be able to pick up their beauty products, including synthetic hair at the places that they grocery shop. Mm. Um, I don't think that they're at the times when I was doing it, that there were enough black buyers that understood that, that were in position to understand that need. Mm-hmm. I think that there are more now. Um, but even still, I would be, I would be a new category. You know, I've seen some, some hair extensions now pop up in, in, uh, Target and Walmart. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ain't mine, but you know, it's, it's popping up, Yeah. You know? Um, but it's, is that a goal of yours? Do you want to get your products into retail? Do you think that's even a good idea? What are your thoughts? You know, after being at QVC, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're on. So I I did see that. Yeah. How did that go? I feel like if you can make it at QVC, you can make it anywhere. That's how I feel. Mm. That might not be true because I don't know. That's the only, you know, place that I've, I've been, but it was very, um, a very strenuous process. Um, not in terms of getting on QVC because they came to me, um, but just the whole preparation part. And I did everything myself and we did everything in-house. 
It's um, like 10 different people emailing you. Yeah. Asking for a lot oh of the same God. stuff. And oh you're like, God. I mean, just even the, the placing of the UPC code, you're just, you're shaking. Cause you're like, wait, did I put it in the right corner? Mm. You, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, I'll say this. I would love for black women to finally get the proper representation that they need in terms of being able to buy a product like mine's in retail. Um, it's just that I'm not sure if retail is, I don't know. I don't know if I want to say if they're ready or again, if they really understand the magnitude of it, because again, if you go to target and you go down a black hair care aisle, you know, which is very small, as you know, um, the, the hair care preparation, I'll call it. So like your relaxers, um, the things that you need to kind of like prep your hair, you know, you don't have, you don't, there's not a lot of that, yeah. you know, that's available. And so again, I've gone in Target and I've seen like the one pack of, of, uh, hair extensions and I'm just like, okay, yeah, I see it. It's almost kind of like here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but not really understanding the the magnitude of it. The like colors, we have, the lengths, yeah, the textures what? of this. Yeah. After I go, you know, get my curl mix, then I got to leave there. And then I got to go halfway across the town in a urban community mm-hmm. to find a beauty supply store, if it's even open, to then style my hair. Yeah. Cause now I'm, you know, I'm washing and all that, but I need my, I need my ponytail. I need my braiding hair. Cause I'm going to do a little bit more to it, you know? So have you never needed to find funding for your business? Like how have you, so you said you were almost doing 2 million. Mm-hmm. You did 2 million with the last business. Mm-hmm. Have you been bootstrapped in the entire way or have I've you been, had, I've been bootstrapped. You've never taken a loan or a credit card debt I, in I, like I, that. You know, I, so I've done working capital loans. Okay. Um, of course when I did, um, QVC, I needed help and, um, one of my mentors from Google for startups um, helped me to to do that along with some friends and family okay. um, raise that I did. Um, I did my first friends and family raise. That was funny because uh, are you familiar with um, you familiar with uh, Goody Nation, the comb company? No, no. So Goody Nation is um, it's it's a it's a big um, incubator for. Um, entrepreneurs here in Atlanta mm, okay. and uh, Joey Womack actually um, has that um, that that infrastructure and I remember going to him and I was like oh my god I need some money uh, this is due that's due like I'm feeling like I'm drowning I need help and he was like uh have you done a friends and family raise and I was like no he's like well you need to get out there and you need to call up 20 people and try to get a thousand dollars from them and I remember being so upset because I'm just like, I'm thinking he's going to be like, I'll help you. You know, you know, I'm good for it. I'm, I'm going to help you. He's like, nah, you need to go. You need to reach out to 20 people mm-hmm. and get $1,000. And really, that was kind of like my start to like, OK, Tiffany, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I've just always been uncomfortable with just asking for money, which is why I've never like raised the number one question I get is, Kim, will you coach me? Will you mentor me? Will you advise me on raising funding? And it's really hard to do one-on-one things, but I am going to launch a community to help you guys fund your business. And the way you get access to that community is by clicking the link in the show notes, KimLewisCEO.com, and joining the mailing list. You'll be first to know when I'm dropping a community so we can help you fund your business. All right, now back to the episode. Yeah, you probably could do a successful crowdfund. I probably could. And I think you actually gave me that inspiration. Like after I saw you crowdfund, I was like, Kim did it. And I followed you from beginning to end. 
and you just did such an amazing job. And, oh, it, and it, it inspired me because it, what it did is showed me that people, you know, consumers cared about what we were doing. They want to support you. And I needed to give, you know, my customers a chance to support me. So, yeah, I've been bootstrapping the whole time, using my own money. That's so impressive. Uh, working capital, loans, PayPal, Shopify, like you know all of those people, loans. When people have a, a chip on their shoulder about not hitting, like, that million in a full, like, calendar year, mm -hmm. but they've bootstrapped the entire way. Mm -hmm. Like, the only reason I got to, I got to my first million with 100000 in credit card debt. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then I got to the $10 million after raising five, six, seven million dollars. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. like. I, I wish, you know, people didn't feel that way because it, that, that context really does matter because you can spend your way to eight figures, you know? But I think also, too, being fair about it, you know, we are not taught any of this. Mm -hmm. Facts. You know, we're not taught any of this. You know, I started getting into, um, you know, incubator programs, just learning, you know, because somebody told me, like, hey, you know, have you ever heard? I didn't even know what an incubator was. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what an accelerator was, you know. And we're always taught not really to ask for money, not, not, exactly. to, not to borrow and things like that. And so I think having all of that on you from, like, generational, you know, what your parents tell you, whatever, it makes it difficult for you to go out there and ask for millions of dollars because you're still trying to um, believe in yourself. Yeah, yeah. Let alone somebody else believing in you that you're going to be able to take their money and exit. You almost have to like play a little bit of a mind game with yourself and mm -hmm. convince yourself, like, like trick yourself a little bit yeah. so that you're not stuck in your way of thinking. Yeah. I had a conversation with a friend and I was telling him someone wrote me a check and he was like, well, how much did I write it for? I was like, it was like $2 million. And I'm like, but they tripping. They acting like they gave me 10. And he was like, <laughs> $2 million is a lot of money. I was like, no, it's not. I was like, <laughs> The fund of the person is like, you know, this is a hundred million dollar fund and they got five funds. And he was just like, he was looking at me crazy. <laughs> right. Like, girl, you tripping. Like, and I just thinking to myself, like, I know people who raised $30 million with less, with less of a yeah. business structure than I have. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, but, but see, you said it right there. I think to be able to be as confident as you are, you have to, one, you have to see it. You have mm. to see that other people have done it. Um, and you just have to be wildly courageous to do it. And when and you, you can do it, and, and when you haven't, I mean, business. I, yeah, and I, I have, but it's just like I literally was just moving. Mm -hmm. I was moving, and that was a devastating time for me when I sold my business. I was pregnant; it was just a lot going on at that time. So I never really even got to process or be happy that I was able to even actually sell it. That somebody actually wanted to buy my business. It took me years. Somebody actually had to come to me and say, "Do you know the fact that that?" somebody gave you money mm -hmm. and bought your business, something that you, is an accomplishment. something you thought of in your brain. Right. They were like, you need to stop looking at it as a, um, you know, as a sore spot in, in your, in your journey and yeah. start, you need to put that down. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, and, and I had to shift my mind because I, I was ashamed of it for so long that the fact that I sold my company in a short amount of time, I was ashamed of it. That was not something I was excited and happy about until somebody actually broke it down to me and was like, nah, <laughs> you need to put that on your, your resume. Like yes. when you apply, you need to apply for things. You need to put that down. Right. You're a second, third time founder. You're, you've acquired, right. Your business have been, has been acquired because there's value in going through the process. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's value in having the experience of ideating, bringing a product to market, 
getting sales, getting hypes, getting it to two million within a couple of years, yeah. and then selling it, having somebody who wants to see value in it, and then going through the process of having a successful sale. And I say successful meaning the transaction was completed. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much you sold for or not. The fact that you were able, you know what that looks like now. Mm -hmm. So when you're going into your next business, you're not going blindly saying, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. I'm da -da -da -da. No, you know what this looks like. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have, we're in our lightning round. We have a few minutes left. Okay. And so, lightning round. And I'm going to ask you a few questions. Okay. okay. Some of them you may have already kind of shared answers to, so, but we'll see. Okay. We shall see. Okay. okay. First question, what's a belief you once had about entrepreneurship that you no longer have? And it can't be that it was easy. <laughs> uh, something that I thought about um, before. So before I used to think um, if you were working, uh, quit your job. <laughs> quit your job and pursue this business because you can do it. I did it. You can do it. Don't do that. <laughs> Girl, I said the same thing. <laughs> I'm telling you, do not do that. Stay at your job. I have learned that. I joke. People were like, Kim, you're so successful. I was like, you know, before I started my business, Tim was making a quarter million dollars a year on his own. Mm -hmm. And I was working on a business. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine if we never started Curl Mix. And I knew how to do what he was doing. Yeah. We'd have been making a half million a year <laughs> in income. Right. Income for the last seven years. Yeah. That, that means that we would have touched personally an income somewhere around... Three to four million dollars. Mm -hmm. Now let me just tell you, personally, in income in the last seven years in Kermix, I have not seen. <laughs> I maybe have. I don't. I don't even know if I've approached a million dollars. Right. Like I'm like <laughs> right. maybe half. You know, I don't. I don't even know. But right. facts. Okay, that's a good. That's a great answer. Um, what mistake do you did you make that you wish you could go back and change? Um, getting a partner without doing my due diligence and finding out, you know more about that person before I went into business with them. So was the mistake that they were like the wrong partner or was it a mistake in the paperwork or was the mistake in like the ownership structure or was it in this, like, what do you feel like was the, the fixable mistake? Um, the fixable mistake was actually the paperwork mm, okay. um, because we went into business 50, 50 and uh, never go into business with anybody 50, 50. Really? Okay. I went into business with Tim 50, 50. Oh, she said, you'll see how it goes. Well, okay. I, I, I would just say this, the advice that was given to me, and I, it's, it was a $100,000 mistake um, in, in real money, um, that if you go into business with a partner 50-50 and there is a um, dispute, there is no third person to break that 50-50% split that you have. Mm. So it becomes deadlock because you own half the business. The other person owns half the business. So there's no other, there's no third person to say, well, actually, you know, I was there and Kim is right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so it just makes it incredibly um, difficult if, a, if there's a dispute that ever happens. No dispute is always all good. But when a dispute happens is when, yeah. And there's usually a dispute. Eventually, for a lot of people. At some point, there's usually a dispute, so get your paperwork in order. That's a good That's a good response. And, I'm and just to clarify my situation, so we did start at 50-50, but then we took on investors. So yeah. we, well, we your have investors are tiebreakers. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> So we better, we we better keep it right, keep it tight. Exactly. <laughs> they're going to break the tie, okay. Um, what's a book that everyone should read? I love um, My Pleasure, 
and you put me on a spot. I can't remember um, the name of the author, but she um, works at Chick-fil-A. She's a marketing exec at Chick-fil-A. And I love it because it's the customer service behind building a business. And, you know, we all heard about the the Keith Lee situation here <laughs> in Atlanta. Keith Lee, come on the pot. I mean, how you find a job? Yeah, yeah. No, anyway. Um, <laughs> and, and I come from the corporate world as well. And so um, customer service has always been you know, top of mind for me. And I just think that as black entrepreneurs, we don't get enough training on customer service Mm. and how customer service can really make or break your business. So I think it's a really great book to read if you need, you know, to, you know, a little fine tuning on how to build a world-class customer service business. Oh, I love that. And it's called My Pleasure because mm-hmm. Chick-fil-A says my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> got you. <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> Which they got from the Four Seasons. Well, Dan Cathy did. And you already said this, but I'm just going to ask you so you can reply and tell me what it was. What's the most money you ever lost on a deal? <laughs> the most money I ever lost in a deal was uh, probably like three and a half million dollars. Wow. Okay. That was a different answer. How you got to tell me the story behind this. It it goes back to Curl Kalan because, Mm. um, for two years, well, almost two years, I was locked out of ownership of the business. So I didn't get any access to any of the revenue or any of the profit rather Mm. from the business. I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. So gotcha. I'm sorry about that. But you know, lessons. You're gonna be, yeah, you're, gonna be you're gonna be real rich. Yeah, it's don't even worry about it's, that. It's okay. You know, these these are lessons and failures that had to happen. It makes you stronger. It makes you stronger in the long And you're way. helping our listeners out because they're gonna try not to do these make these mistakes, you know, when they start Absolutely. their business. You wanna know about failing, I got you. <laughs> fail queen. Um, most embarrassing moment as an entrepreneur. Most embarrassing moment? It's not embarrassing anymore, but I think it again, I'm I go back to that because I, I go back to my last business because um I've been in the I'll say kind of like influencer spotlight for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And so my whole business partnership breakup was a public thing. Oh. <laughs> and so everybody kind of knew about it. And so it was just an embarrassing time for me at that time. Because Were they in the forums like, talking about you and stuff too? Uh, yeah. Really? All over that. social media talking about me. It probably still is. But, um, you know, it, it wasn't, at that time, it was, it was embarrassing because it was just like, how can I be so naive? You know, mm. how could I not make sure that my paperwork was right? How can I make sure I didn't have a, a solid operation agreement? It was just like so much that I just felt so embarrassed about, you know, which made me work even harder with Lash and Hooks. Gotcha. You know. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, is there a moment you want to relive where it was like so amazing and you're like, oh my God, I want to experience that again. Mm. I think oh, there's so many moments. Um, oh, I love that. Okay. <laughs> there's so many moments, but I think one was when I won the hundred thousand dollars for Google for startups mm. and they told me that I won it. Um, I was completely surprised, didn't expect it, but I think at that moment, even though I had been in business for several years, it solidified what I had been doing and working on all these years because Google for startups, you know, which is a tech company believed that I was doing something phenomenal for black women in beauty. 
and gave me the top amount because you could either get 50000 or or 100000 And they gave me $100,000 and said, go forth and continue to be great. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> shout out to Google. <laughs> shout, out for, shout out to Shout them. out to Google mm-hmm. for startups. Is there anything that you want to leave the people with? Um, I think that, you know, you know, entrepreneurship is not easy, mm-hmm. you know, and I think there's always been this kind of debate about, um, you know, you're a boss if you're an entrepreneur versus working in a corporate job. Yeah. And I've done both. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that neither one is easier. You know, one is not better than the other. Um, I just think that you have to, um, in, in business, you just have to continue to be resilient. You know, you have to continue to be resilient. And I think you have to understand that failure happens and you can't, you really just can't, you know, bypass failure. Like you have, you need to fail and fail fast. Um, And so, yeah, I just think anybody who wants to be an entrepreneur or who is an entrepreneur and you're growing and you feel defeated, uh, you just got to keep going, you know, because on the other side is, you know, greatness. You just got to keep going. I love that. Mm -hmm. Where can the people support you? Um, how can they support you? Yeah. Follow me, um, on, uh, go online to latchedinhook.com. Um, follow me on social media at latched and hooked, the letter N latched, the letter N and then hooked. Um, and then I'm also Tiffany Gatlin on all the social media platforms. Yes. If you follow her, on her personal Instagram, you can see how she lost over a hundred pounds. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is amazing. I love fitness. I love fashion. I love food. Those are like my three things personally that I love. F-f-f-f, I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for tuning into the More Rounds podcast. I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Peace.